0: We don't know what to trust right now. Words shared by ICU nurse Michelle Fairney in regards to the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is the state of our world right now. It's a state of not knowing all the answers, which is incredibly uncomfortable. Whether you want to admit it or not. This is why so many people, including yourself, are likely to hit up traditional media or social media because you're seeking out the answers to help you feel more safe, secure, and comfortable. Whether it's a conspiracy theory or an announcement from the White House, you're clinging on to these so-called answers while avoiding gaining a deeper perspective on what you're truly experiencing. In this episode, Michelle and I dive into a conversation about the pandemic, the uncertainty, and what's really taking place on the front lines. This is not an episode where you're going to find the answers. This is an episode for you to deepen your perspective on what we are collectively experiencing. So tune in and expand your perspective on the virus itself, on herd immunity, on the possibility of virus mutation, and on the people who are getting hit by COVID-19. Michelle Fairney is an intensive care nurse and self-care expert who helps nurses cultivate inner resiliency so they can live a life they truly love beyond the bedside. From dealing with the complexities of critically ill children to working front lines at the epicenter of New York during the COVID crisis, Michelle mentors other nurses as they navigate the emotional, psychological, and physical demands that nurses face daily. Michelle has experienced life-altering degrees of burnout, anxiety, and depression, and after almost quitting the profession completely in 2017, she realized self-care goes beyond what is prescriptively taught to nurses – exercise, eat healthy, and take a bubble bath – Michelle has made it her mission to teach nurses how to be a nurse, as current education only emphasizes the to-do and task-oriented side of nursing, yet the profession itself deeply calls nurses forward into their most vulnerable and compassionate form. This is an episode that you're going to want to bookmark, listen to, download, share with friends because I can guarantee it is going to shed some deep perspective. On what we are experiencing in our world right now. Now, whether you are new to the podcast or a loyal thought leader, please hit pause right now and take a moment to download a few episodes and drop a rating and review on iTunes. This would help me out a lot. And if you dig the podcast and you want to connect with me, add me on social media at I am Ruby or shoot me a text message at Now it is time to gain some perspective on COVID nineteen with ICU frontline nurse Michelle Fairney. Welcome to today's thought leader, where I'm challenging you to rise up, speak up, and create a movement. I'm your host Ruby Freeman, and I'm here as a catalyst for you, the new generation of thought leaders. I'm a kick-ass life coach, a bullshit detector, and courageous communicator. I'll show you how to gain visibility, build a cult following, and create impact while increasing your income. Join me every week as I dive into raw and real conversations that will help you amplify your presence, influence, and impact. It's time to unapologetically do what you're here to do and do it your way. So get ready, thought leaders, and let's make shit happen. Hey, Thought Leaders, I am back with a very special episode with a very special friend. Um, and before I before I have her say hello, let me just share how we know each other. So I don't even know, maybe it was like 10 years ago. What is it, 2020 right now? It was, I would say, maybe yeah, 10, years. 10 years, maybe even longer, 12 years. Mm-hmm. I started working in nightlife 12 years ago. I was a promoter, and Michelle was a frequenter.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Is that a good way to put it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I was really going to be surprised what you were going to say there. I was like, oh, party girl. <laughs> oh, I mean, we could say
0: that, but a club frequenter, a party frequenter. Yeah. Um, and that's how we actually initially connected. So we knew each other in very different points in our lives where we were completely different people. Uh, with completely different lives. Um, And funny, like we had just really reconnected last year when Michelle um, signed up for my retreat and we realized how parallel our lives were back then. Like, I don't think back then we realized how parallel our lives and our relationships were. And then we dove in last year and it's like, oh yeah, we were going through the same shit.
1: yeah yeah and I mean, that's so interesting because when we're in those places in our lives, we, we tend to be so secretive and so yeah, covered up, right?
0: Totally. Well, with that introduction, <laughs> I'm super excited to bring Michelle Fearney on the podcast today, and in this new life of hers in this in this evolved Place in her life. Michelle is an intensive care nurse and self care expert, and just an all around, genuine, authentic, wonderful human being who I deeply admire. I'm inspired by her, and I just the work that she's doing in our world is so, so important because um, by supporting nurses in being their best selves, she's also creating a ripple effect to shift the medical industry for the good, for the better. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here and
1: for sharing your time and
0: presence with us.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. No, I'm so excited to just dive in. Um, You know, there's so much that I really feel that like going on right now in our world and we're all in our own little mini worlds and we're just getting tastes and bites of what we're seeing. Um, I can even speak to that. You know, I've been living in the world of front lines COVID for, mm-hmm. you know, the last two months and just starting to resurface again is what I'm starting to feel like and sharing what it is that I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis is going to be something so important, um, I think, to, you know, really create a depth within our all of our perspectives of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. Because also even us who are in healthcare and working their front lines You know, when we start sharing our stories and we start understanding one another, um, it also allows us to get outside of the very, like, tasky to-do side, the very life or death, the very, like, go, 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 and start seeing everything as a whole again.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, how we're all in our own bubbles, because everything does seem super fragmented right now. Um, You know, we have people living in isolation, social distancing, people on the front lines. We have a lot of stuff happening in social media. We're getting hit from all sides of the spectrum. And, um, a lot of people are feeling like they're alone in their shit. But when you're in that space, it's really easy to lose that depth and the perspective of what's actually Mm -hmm. happening. And in that loss of depth and perspective, we seem to be losing compassion and empathy, um, and also the ability to trust ourselves and our intuition, um, you know we were talking about this last week, how with covid you know this has really been challenging to a lot of people in terms of their basic human needs, you know basic human physio- physiological needs and safety needs have been challenged for for everyone in different ways, and people are clinging on to anything concept, idea, belief, ideation, person, leader, media outlet, whatever it is that provides them with that sense of security. But in doing so, they then turn a blind eye to everything else. And that's why I had, um, so I reached out to Michelle a week ago because I watched this, you know, there's all these nurses sharing videos right now. And this one had stood out for some reason. to me, and I really just wanted to hear Michelle's perspective as a nurse. Like, what's what is this really? What's happening? And and it was the video that was saying where the nurse was saying, um, the hospitals are are murdering patients, and that's when Michelle and I dropped into a really deep conversation that inspired this podcast episode. Um, but it's like headlines like that, that I feel are disrupting our ability to see the truth. Plus, it's like really easy to want to believe that because now you have something, you have a finger to point at, you have a, someone to point a finger at, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the hospitals that are wrong. Okay, so they're fucking up. And this is the reason why so many people are dying. Great. I'm going to believe that.
1: That's mm-hmm. crazy. <laughs> yeah. and. I mean, I feel that exactly what you said right now, this is a time where we're becoming more disconnected, disconnected from ourselves and our truth and also disconnected from others and disconnected from a lot of our systems and things too, because we don't know what to trust right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so exactly when you have media that comes out that uses the tone and the language of murder, um, and it comes from a very, again, limited perspective on the entire, you know, like COVID situation as a Mm -hmm. whole, Um, you know, this is one nurse speaking from one lens of perspective, um, you know, coming into a crisis zone who only has worked in the one hospital setting, you know, she hasn't seen all the other hospitals. Um, And it just speaks to, again, that then can translate into more disconnection. We we know that this for fact is that people are not coming to the hospital right now because they're scared to. Mm -hmm. They're scared that they're going to get treated like a COVID patient or they're going to catch COVID and it's going to change their course of outcome. There's been people that have been dying from things that our system was already overwhelmed with prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And because there's now this huge, um, you know, disconnection from Healthcare and seeking out any sort of help uh, and people, you know, sheltering in place. We're also seeing those other things and those other like diseases like heart attacks and strokes and things that do happen on the daily Mm -hmm. are now getting missed.
0: Mm, Yeah, it's, it's really sad. And I think that that's the piece that keeps getting me. Like this is the reason why I keep going on and off social media because I get really emotional when it feels like people are missing the humanness of what's happening. Like who cares why, but this is what's happening. Because I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, would you agree that it's safe to say we don't, we don't know why all of this is (laughs) happening because we don't have all the answers.
1: And the thing is, is that we might not ever have all of the answers. Mm. And even when we do get enough answers to then, like put that in a place in our memory bank and store it as, okay, that's kind of what happened in that period of time. It's always hindsight.
2: Mm -hmm. Like
1: you're not going through shit as you're going through it. And you learn the lessons after the person who's going through it, goes through it. And then you learn the lessons. That's with anything in life. And so it's just very interesting in this time right now, how many people are surfacing and being these like experts. in things that we don't know. Like this is a novel virus, meaning that it's never existed to the right. point. Can
0: we break that down first? <laughs> like, let's just get like, let's just break down the definition of a novel virus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So novel virus, meaning that this, this virus has never, has never surfaced. It's never been around to date there are other coronaviruses and other strains, um, just meaning that the makeup of the virus is different. It acts differently. Um, I'm actually a pediatric ICU nurse and I deal with coronavirus every year. Like Mm -hmm. we have children in the ICU who are intubated for a different type of coronavirus, but this is not the same one that we're now seeing. So Mm -hmm. this is a novel virus that's affecting the adult population predominantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when it's novel, it means that they don't know what to do with it. Like it could behave in so many different ways. And when we don't have information and we're treating from a place of just putting out fires, it's really tough. You know, we just like the general public experience that same sort of like waves of uncertainty like you know we're getting information on the daily I remember in the beginning there it's like every day I go going to work there was new things changes new policies new ways that we had to like put on PPE like everything is changing everything and it's so much like it also shows like that outer side of things and it gave me a more like a more, I say more depth to my perspective too as to why so many people aren't coping during all of this because mm-hmm. our like our human nature like our DNA like our nervous system we do not like new things we do not like things that we don't know that are like we if we can't see the entire staircase right <laughs> we don't we don't like, like the unfamiliar ending. we don't like no. the uncomfortable we don't like the unpredictable no so then we create little things to kind of just soothe ourselves mm-hmm. you know to get by um because it's really truly hard for us to sit in an unknown. Um, It's much easier to say, Hey, look, that person who, you know, says they're a doctor. I mean, like, also, let's understand that you can have a PhD in like exercise nutrition and right and call yourself a doctor um, and be (laughs) speaking about virology and tests and different things like that. (laughs) Um, You know, it's very easy to look at people where we Feel that we have a deficit and where we doubt ourselves and mm. seek information from them because mm. then it creates that filling that like place in this, that void where we're just trying to use another person and their information to fill a hole right. in ourselves.
0: Yeah. We're grasping for information to fill in the blanks within ourselves so that we can create that false sense of security and safety, right? Like if, if Dr. So-and-so's beliefs about what's going on makes us feel somehow safer because now we have an answer, then I'm going to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. Or if the media, what the media is saying fills in some of the blanks that I'm questioning and that makes me feel more secure, then I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Right. And it feels like, Yeah.
1: yeah, go on. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, like, same thing with that nursing that nurse video calling, you know, right. it being, like, then taken, and then, you know, all, like, she didn't necessarily say murder, but then, you know, all the people repackaged it and repurposed yes. it as murder. Exactly. So, what it then does is it creates the, like, understanding around why are so many people dying right now? Oh, mm-hmm. it's the hospital's killing them. Therefore, I just won't seek medical attention and care. Like it's just like oh my gosh mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really happening right now
0: yeah yeah it's so um convoluted like everything mm-hmm. feels convoluted and personally for me what i've found is the more time i spend online the more convoluted things get and so i have found refuge being offline and being with myself mm-hmm. and and being in my practices and just like being in nature and and not Paying as much attention to what's going on online that I was before, um, and there's also, you know, the online space is also really helpful right now in order to stay connected with people. So yeah. it's like you got to find that balance. Um, but I think at the end of the day, for for me personally, it's been okay. What actually truly resonates, like what actually truly feels um, good, and doesn't agitate my nervous system versus like, what are the things that are being said that are agitating my nervous system? And I've done my best, honestly, to show up and speak to this and things, shit still gets twisted because people are seeing what they want to see and hearing what they want to hear. Because again, like they're going after trying to fill in the blanks or seeking out proof to prove their beliefs or ideations as the truth. Um, Something I want to segue into is because I think this is so important because you helped me so much in our last call and I never told you this because we hear about the stories that are happening in the hospitals, right? Like I read a lot of the um, like opinion sections in New York times and then things like that to get some of the personal stories. But then again, you're questioning like, okay, well, which is this edited? Like, is this not the truth? Like what's actually happening? And so to hear more about what's actually taking place right now, um, in the hospitals from someone I trust was really insightful. Um, Mm -hmm. I found myself checking myself like a few more, few more times (laughs) and also, um, dropping into a deeper state of compassion. And I think it would just be helpful for our listeners to hear, um, what you're able to share, of course.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, So what I can personally share is that, um, I am working currently and still, um, as a travel nurse, uh, I am working on the front lines of, um, a very large hospital in New York city. Um, I am working in the intensive care unit and I am working on a life support unit meaning, um, so there's quite different, quite a bit of a difference between that and, um, someone who hasn't actually experienced, um, you know, intensive care might not understand the differences. So I will go over that. Mm-hmm. So generally what happens is when you become sick, you go into the emergency room. The goal of the emergency room is to treat you and figure out what's wrong with you, hopefully give you something so that you don't need to get admitted. You can go home, send you on your way, you're good to go. Right. Now, if it's seems that they can't fix you in, you know, whatever X amount of hours, then you would get transferred to something that we call like the ward, the unit, mm-hmm. um, which is just a regular medical ward or whatever it might be, or a surgical ward if you need surgery. Um, and it means that like, you're not in like dire straight. like you're not going to die in the next like six hours or mm-hmm. like, you know, we, it's more so that you just need a little bit more treatment. We're not safe and we don't feel safe and comfortable with you going home. Mm -hmm. Then there's intensive care unit. And the ICU is basically a place where it's like you need emergent care, you need intense monitoring, because your condition can change hour by hour. Mm -hmm. So the intensive care unit is no joke. Like that is somewhere where you go because you need highly skilled professionals, highly skilled people who have not only just done the book smarts, but they've experienced it, you know, right. they, they know how to work with this type of medicine. They know how to work with the body. And, you know, when I speak to this, um, in like with a lot of other, my colleagues is that the intensive care unit is a very special place because it's where science and the soul meet.
2: Mm-hmm. like
1: you have to be checking yourself religiously. Um, and I mean that in the sense of that, you know, goals of care always change. So COVID itself has been very interesting and has called on our resources big. Like we know this, we know that, you know, there hasn't been PPE, there hasn't been ventilators, there Mm -hmm. hasn't been all these different things. But what I feel the general community and people don't understand is what happens when care becomes diluted.
2: Mm -hmm. And what I
1: mean by that is that, you know, the lack of resources that we can't just replace or we can't just like, you know, get all these other companies to start making, it's human. Mm. There's only very few of us who actually do this practice and do this type of science. And it takes a long time to go into an actual ICU. You're training if you already usually have at least two years of regular nursing experience, and then you go through a six-month intensive training program that requires you to go back to school, as well as then do clinical and have, a, be mentored for that entire period before you get to actually freely be in the ICU, because these patients are very fragile. Like mm-hmm. I said, they can change from hour to hour. And so this was the big thing that we were seeing in the beginning, is that we had way too many critical patients and not enough critical care beds. Now, the facility I'm working at is just one hospital in New York City. Right. And to put into perspective how many critical care beds we needed is that each floor has 32 beds in it. Mm-hmm. And they converted floor 12 to 17 all into ICU. Wow. And before that, how many floors were ICU? I would say one collectively. Wow. But spread out throughout the hospital because they usually separate them into like cardiac ICU and then like surgical or like medical ICU.
0: Right. But this was, there's no separation. It's just all ICU.
1: No separation. And so the thing is, is that when dilution of care happens, the quality of care goes down. This yeah. is something as nurses that we've been striking for, for years. You know, you've seen in the media from time to time, nurses striking and, mm-hmm. you know, on the, like picket lines and on those front lines, like asking for what the general population probably doesn't understand is better nurse to patient ratios. Mm-hmm. And typically what then happens is that it's looked at like, we want more money, we need more money, but really it's We need more money for hiring and for more people because the quality of care goes down. Because think about it. When you're busy and you're running around all day, you're not spending time being present. You're not very aware. You're in fight or flight. You're missing information.
0: Right. So Um, what what you're 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 saying, like, because I want to simplify this, is like prior to COVID, prior to COVID happening, there was already not enough nurses for patients. Right. Exactly. Okay. And so now with COVID, with the influx, especially in New York City, now that ratio becomes even more diluted. Now you don't yes. have enough, especially in the ICU, not enough nurses who are trained for those mm-hmm. specific reasons to, mm-hmm. and, uh, to work with these patients.
1: Yeah. And so that's a big thing that we are seeing. So In a typical ICU environment, you are one to one with your patient, meaning one nurse to one patient, Mm -hmm. because the care that they need is a lot. Um, In the beginning, there there were sometimes three patients to one nurse. Wow, and that's like that's a big thing, especially when you don't know how to treat this virus and how this virus works, and you know at what stage you need to be implementing certain things. Um, I spoken to a lot of my like colleagues and I've talked to a lot of my friends as well. And, you know, even us who do work in ICU, we know that this, this type of patient that comes in with respiratory ventilator, like, you know, develops ARDS, which is the massive inflammatory response around the lungs that causes a lot of issues for ventilation. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually one of the sickest patients on our unit mm. when this happens. Yeah. And And or there's also when we have these sometimes patients that come in that are a medical mystery, we don't understand why they're so sick. And we're just trying to put out fires until we can gather more information. They too are also the sickest patients. Mm -hmm. And even when we're in the ICU, we have typically other patients that are a little bit more stable. So if you're nursing this really sick patient, you usually have support of your colleagues. Mm -hmm. But right now, these very sick patients are filling up every single bed. Mm. So everyone is stretched thin. They've called on doctors who don't specialize in these areas um, just because we can't can't do anything else at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, they're training staff as quickly as they can. They're, you know, bringing in like, you know, my facility brought in 400 travel nurses. Wow. 400 travel nurses. 400. In addition to their staff. In addition to their staff, yeah.
0: Wow. And that's because um, they could, and not a lot of house hospitals mm-hmm. have the resources to be able to do that, which is why there are some yeah. hospitals in New York that are suffering more than others and in other places in the world um, that are suffering more than other hospitals. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, for our listeners, I hope that gives you perspective on what is actually happening on the front lines in terms of um, the not debunking but shedding some light on some of the videos that are being shown so rather than um you know getting upset at what's being shown like let this be an eye opener to how our healthcare system needs a makeover anyways and it needed one mm-hmm. prior to this and covid is actually highlighting um, in a very traumatic way, just how much the healthcare system here needs to shift in order to be able to support, um, you know, the people who come into the hospitals. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And that's really a big thing too. You know, um, this virus itself is also highlighting a lot of things that we didn't know. Um, we're starting to see, and especially for me i'm working on a unit where we're actually dealing with the population that isn't the like you know older than seventy has the core morbidities mm-hmm. and all the things we're dealing with the young ones. My patients are all under forty five um, mm. and some of them are coming in with no previous medical history um, we're seeing you know uh, really sadly enough the it's like the influences of socio- economic status, um, mm-hmm. you know, different, um, I would say like we're seeing like Hispanic is very highly affected. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now starting to see that obesity is becoming another comorbidity to be considered in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it also poses that question because there's also so much, you know, backlash out there being like, why do the healthy people need to stay in quarantine? Right. It doesn't make sense. but it's like, how do we define healthy? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't do it based on age. We can't do it based on you've never been diagnosed with something. Mm-hmm. We the body itself is so good and resilient. It's so good at like maintaining and looking like it's good until it's like really not good anymore. Right. Um, you know, like your liver will function up to 75% of its capacity um, before it actually fails you know, your kidneys as well will go to 80% before they completely fail. Um, yeah. So there's all these things and it's not to scare people because that's not my intention within this. It's just to Mm -hmm. kind of bring a deeper understanding that the reason we can't just let everyone out who defines themselves as healthy is because we don't know who's healthy. We don't know who is going to be, you know, one of the people that just, doesn't have, doesn't get symptoms, doesn't, you know,
0: Mm -hmm. um, that's really important for everyone listening. Um, because there are a lot of people questioning that I've, I've questioned it, you know, like why do, why do us who feel healthy and do our best to maintain health also have to stay home and lock down. And, um, there is a lot that we don't know. And, There are things that perhaps you have that you don't know you have. And there's just so many unknowns right now. And what Michelle is highlighting is the fact that, you know, she's working on a ward where people are under the age of 45, seemingly healthy, never had previous health concerns before, and they're there. And it can be easy for you from the comfort of your homes behind your computer screens to point the finger and say, oh, they must have had some heart condition or, oh, they must be obese or, oh, they must have this. And yet you don't know that for a fact. And what Michelle is mm-hmm. saying is that like, there isn't, a, and correct me if I'm wrong, there isn't like a a, a concrete predictability for who this is going mm-hmm. to affect just yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then like this whole thing is just so... Like multifactorial in that as well too. You know, we talk even about like, okay, so projection moving forward. Like, what are we going to do with this? Because at this point, I mean, New York has been the big highlight of Mm -hmm. like, this is what happens when you know you don't identify people ahead of time and things go wrong and you know the system becomes overburdened.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, They're now estimating that New York has only 20 percent. Of its population infected. That means that New York needs to go through this two more times in order to achieve natural herd immunity if we were going to go that route.
0: Okay. Can you explain that a little bit? Because I think there's a lot of people who have been talking about herd immunity mm-hmm. um, and immunity in general, because, you know, there's the saying, well, if I got it once, I won't be able to get it again, right? So let's break it down because you also shed some light on this for me that made me open my eyes and question some of the people that I've been following <laughs> who have been speaking about herd immunity.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, I will speak to my level of my knowledge. Like yes. by no means am I like a virologist or like, you know, infectious disease. I did do previous to my nursing degree. Um, I did do in my undergrad, I did a pre-med degree and I did a lot of my specialty in population health um, and did uh, like health science and that sort of background in region. So I do have some familiarity around like what they're talking about when they're thinking of like, you know, these certain concepts and, you know, we're also taught around herd immunity and understanding that Um, because the thing too, is that you hear herd immunity and one person will be like, Oh, that means like, you know, natural herd immunity, where also vaccination we also talk about that is also to achieve herd immunity Mm, Um, to vaccinate people, to give them almost the pseudo experience of, Experiencing the virus without getting sick, right? I know that's going to cause us a lot of triggers. That one.
0: yeah, um, <laughs> we can we so, can circle back to that in a bit. <laughs>
1: we'll circle back to that another yeah. day. Um, but so the thing of with herd immunity is essentially the rate in which that we need an entire population is about sixty percent. That then the vulnerable people who can't catch the virus, because if they catch the virus, they're going to die,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or, you know, have whatever reason they can't get a vaccination, this is like in the sense of like the other things that we vaccinate for, will be protected. Mm-hmm. It means that the transmission rate of whatever we're protecting the other 40% from, um, it, it's so low that the likelihood of them catching it becomes way less.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the goal is 60%. Now, where we're at with COVID right now is it's kind of, but again, complicated. It's unknown. Right. Um, we don't know how this virus is even going to act. Um, mm-hmm. So the goal that we would say with any major virus um, or anything that's causing this amount of deaths, just like the flu does every year, um, is let's create a vaccine for it so that we can achieve natural herd immunity in a very like controlled way, right? That's that one size perspective. Is that instead of subjecting the entire population to it Mm -hmm. and it just going to kill everyone it's going to kill, let's try it this way to try to eliminate that and also eliminate the burden on the healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the thing with vaccines though is that they take a really long time to develop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you like the, because the side that we're also not sure with this virus is that how long does it create immunity for? Um, we don't know if it's going to be because it is an upper respiratory tract infection. It's something that's in your nasopharyngeal airway. You usually only really get like an annual sort of like like free pass once you get it, mm-hmm. and then your body gets rid of that. So it's also questionable that, you know, they start developing these vaccines and they won't know until about a year from now whether the teeters, which is like, the amount of antibodies that they will actually look in your blood to see, Mm -hmm. whether they're actually still at a height where they're like, oh, okay, after a year, you still have antibodies. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? This thing hasn't been around for a year yet. Right. We don't know until we get to the year point. We don't know until we get to the two-year point. We won't know until we get to 10 years from now and be like, oh, okay, COVID is one of those ones where you can vaccinate once for, And it's good.
0: Right. Versus like you vaccinate and then you get the booster and then you get the other booster and then you get the fourth booster. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been around. I think that's the thing that people are missing is like it has not been around that long. Like it really hasn't.
1: Mm -hmm. And so then the other side of the coin is this whole like natural herd immunity thing where, you know, get more people to have the virus. It's going to start moving its way through. It will have less hosts to like infect that way. And the problem with that is two things, is that, again, we're just going to be back at like overwhelming our healthcare system. And exactly, you know, to kind of bring back that video of talking about murder in the hospital, mm-hmm. I wouldn't coin it as murder, but definitely there are going to be more people that are going to die because they won't receive the level of care that they need for this mm-hmm. virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the issue with that is that there's going to be so many people who identify as healthy because so many people don't realize they're unhealthy until they start making better choices or something happens to them that checks their reality. And they're like, Oh wait, I'm not healthy. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the issue with that side of the thing, that side of things that we don't know how many people that if we just let everyone run free, like there's going to be a lot of people who will try to see who will need medical care but mm-hmm. we won't be able to offer it to them.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's like how many people just even needed a little bit of support of oxygen, you know, a little bit of like nutritional support, oxygen, some repositioning, um, and, you know, a little bit of azithromycin or something like that. Because that's some of this population too. People are coming into the hospitals and they're not in the intensive care unit, you know? Right. They just needed a little bit of support uh, moving through the virus. Yeah. So it's very like, Kind of icky when it comes to those waters. When it's it's more playing with that side of like, well, like it's it basically like lighting a match in a very very dry forest. Mm. So basically, like have a small little campfire and it doesn't go beyond that, or it just like it just goes like wildfire. Yeah, right? and that's why there's also so much of this like really big hesitancy around reopening is like. We know that you can't just hold everyone in until there's a vaccine or there's a controlled way to like, you know, do that because then also too, people have their rights to, you know, vaccinate or not vaccinate. Mm -hmm. They also don't know enough about this virus about, you know, at what quarters do they need to vaccinate. They don't even know at this point if the virus is going to be a seasonal thing because most coronaviruses are like, I mean, and we haven't gone
0: through a year. And so we still have yet to go through like another summer, right? And so we, uh, you know, on the Western hemisphere still have to go through a winter with it, like a full winter. And it's just like, it's crazy. And, um, you know, going back to the herd immunity piece, you know, it's so easy, I feel like, in this um, pandemic to want to pick a side, you know, whether it's the Mm -hmm. conspiracy theory or what you're reading um, by the government and the media or mm-hmm. like herd immunity or know if you herd immunity. But, um, I'm hoping that our listeners by this point understand that there are no sides and that in fact, there's just this giant gray area of uncertainty that we yeah. get to navigate right now and be in right now. And this is learning how to be in the discomfort of all of that, because wouldn't you rather be in the dis- discomfort of not knowing everything versus a false sense of comfort Um, by clinging on to what could be truth, but it could also fuck everything up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, and just one other piece around the Mm -hmm. natural herd immunity side is that the other worry about like, you know, allowing for natural herd immunity is that, especially with a virus that moves so quickly between people, Mm -hmm. like viruses, like they can change, you know, they can, mm-hmm. you, they can mutate. Right. And so the thing is, is that with something that can pass so quickly, it can move through that many bodies that quickly, its likelihood to mutate is greater than a virus that doesn't move as quick. Mm-hmm. So the problem with that is that do you want to roll the dice that it mutates into something worse that's even more deadly? Or do you want like versus it could be to fade into something else that's not as deadly like those are both possibilities but you see it's like a complete pandora's box
2: Mm. the
1: whole thing that we're in right now it's like how do we move forward because people do need to move forward you know like we i talked about before about people not seeking proper medical attention and you know getting for getting cared for um for things that aren't covid related that's also causing a lot of like you know like health issues and problems, people being stuck at home, um, you know, kids not getting education, all these things do have cumulative effects.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: but at the same time too, it's like, how, how much do we give? How much do we take back? Like it's, it's a dance just like anything in life right now. It's just a very big political, out there in front of everyone's face dance that we're right. doing.
0: Yeah, that we're all trying to navigate and many are trying to control and um, or claim the rights to. And it's, you know, it's really interesting because I've, I've been in this deeply observational state and I've talked about this on the podcast in the last few episodes where um, I'm, I I've really slipped on like the observer hat and I'm observing a lot of things and I'm not... Mm-hmm being quick to believe one thing over the next instead I'm getting curious because curiosity feels good. Um, but curiosity with curiosity also comes being in the uncertainty of it all and not having all the answers yet curiosity is what can get us closer to having some form of answers, but it's like people aren't willing to be in that place right now. Um, for whatever their reasons. I mean, They've just got some shadow work to do is what I think, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> very agreeable to that one <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, it's so interesting, and i you know I think that with the theory side of things versus let's call it traditional media side of things, um, we have the theory side people who are acting in certain ways and the media side, people who are acting in certain ways. But if you look at both sides, neither of them are comfortable in the uncertainty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Neither and, of you know, them.
1: <laughs> and th- that speaks to what we were talking about with the shadow work. And what mm-hmm. you were saying earlier is that it comes down to self-trust. Mm-hmm. Um, to sit in the middle and to walk the middle line is really uncomfortable because you have to be willing to be wrong. You have to be willing to change your mind every single day. Mm-hmm. And our body will literally program that as death. Like mm-hmm. our nervous system doesn't like that. No. Like it's so much easier to just be like, okay, I got this one thing and then I'm going to stick to it. And then I'm going to build my little life around it and keep right. building my life around it. And, and, like, and that's how we get rigid and second in our ways, people. Yeah. Um, And that's the thing is, even as a healthcare provider, you know, even going through what I was, I realized that I was so immersed in the front line that I, on my days off, like I've been doing self-care and then I've been actually like immersing myself in all the things that are happening outside of my bubble Mm. to kind of grasp an idea and get a larger sphere around me of what is trickling in versus like what I'm seeing and then what's being experienced on the outside. Yeah. I friend days where i go down the you know rabbit hole of the what's called conspiracy theories right. um as well as i go and i you know fill my head full of trump and all that media right. um and it it all it really does is it gives me more information to balance myself in that middle zone mm-hmm. um and find exactly like what is my truth you know as someone who does operate in this system who, um, you know, we've talked about for me being Canadian and now working in a U.S. healthcare system um, that is very pro-treatment, you know, finding how my morals and my values align me while I'm moving through this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to what degree I'm treating um, versus harming. Right. You know? And this is where I was talking about earlier about the ICU being this environment of where the science and soul meet. You know, you you have you're like, at one point you're working with these patients and you know, there's, there's this, like, you're going to get this done. You're going to optimize. You've got fighting chance, but the scenario can flip very quickly. The scenario can then flip into, we have all this technology and all these machines and all these things that we can keep you alive on, but are you really alive?
2: That
1: mm-hmm. we can do something. Should we be doing it? Mm. Um, and so that brings in the many layers as well. Um, and so that's for me is that's where I've learned how to actually really walk that middle line. Um, because, you know, the push and the organizational push or, you know, the a lot of people and, again, coming back to the trauma work, that like achievement and that winning mentality, especially with this, like whole thing becoming like a war, you know, mm-hmm. it's got really like war mentality stapled yeah. on it that we have something to win. Um yeah you can see that I'm working on that one right, right. now, um, where this is just something that's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's inviting us all forward in so many ways. Um, and for me, I've been really blessed that I found myself in a space where I can now really do that switch,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, quite fluidly, um, where I, I can really jump in and stand, you know, against the very pro treatment side and be like, no, like, this is where we're at. This is what we need to reassess. It's these are the conversations we need to have
2: Um,
1: and I can also then go the other route and you know help motivate and inspire when there's still hope that someone's given up Mm. Um, and it's it's a big hat to hold Mm -hmm. and I think that speaks to just exactly how we need to sort of operate when it comes to this is that there's always going to be information on either side and our own inner work and our own perspective is going to have us Running forward, usually more leaning to one side, and if we don't stop ourselves and check ourselves and open our minds,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to the information that's going around us, going on around us, then we don't actually see the situation for all that it is.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's the way that you describe how you've been seeking information um, via media or social media, whether it's like Trump or the conspiracy theories. Uh, Made me think about the concept of like truth versus perspective. How I think a lot of people are going online to seek the seeking out the truth, Mm -hmm. uh, versus like seeking to gain perspective, Mm -hmm. and that there's a big difference because for all of you listening, your truth isn't going to be found in social media, nor is it going to be found in the New York Times, nor is it going to be found on the news. It can only be found within yourself, but by going to these different outlets you can sure as hell gain perspective. And and that's one of our intentions for you today. I'm sorry if you came here to to find some solid answers because we're not giving you answers, but we're hoping to offer you some perspective to think differently, to open your mind, to go from such a magnified laser focus on one thing to just panning out and being able to see Um, all things and, and shed some more compassion and empathy into our world, not just for others, but for yourself, because being in the uncertainty um, can feel really, really awful. And so we get to have that grace for ourselves and that compassion for ourselves, but don't go To outside sources to seek out truth because that can only be found within yourself, but you can go to outside Mm -hmm. sources to seek perspective on things, to deepen and widen your perspective on things. That's great. Um, And then do so from that place of like, curiosity and sheer observation versus um, the energy of like, no, I need to know this now, which is what brings us into those rabbit holes that we've talked about, right? Like you'll read something somewhere and you'd be like, oh my God, I need to fact check this. And then you go somewhere else and I need to check that. And you go somewhere else and all of a sudden, 10 hours later, you come out of the rabbit hole and your whole day day is gone. And you're like, wow, I feel like shit. (laughs) I've been, like, I don't know what's real anymore. <laughs> right. But I, that pulls you out of your truth because you were in there chasing the truth versus chasing perspective. Um, yeah. So important. Um, so sorry guys, if you were listening to find out some sort of truth that can only be found within yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I I'd love to know if you're open to sharing um, one or a couple stories. I know there's privacy and stuff, but of, um, patient care only because I want to offer people perspective. I think that there is, uh, something powerful that comes from sharing human stories. Cause it again, brings the humanness back into the situation, which I think a lot of people are missing. Um, mm-hmm. is there a way for you to share? And it's okay if you can't. <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, so I think I can kind of summarize it more, um, so they're not necessarily patient specific scenarios, cause okay. I have to stay away for that. Um, yeah. but I can just kind of, you know, talk about the experience in in its entirety. Um, yeah. so we already spoke about, you know, these overwhelming ICUs that are, there's more ICU beds now than we need, uh, or that we currently have Like or prior to this needed. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of people working hard, and respiratory patients, which is you know the lungs, Mm -hmm. um, they're very sick and they're very fragile, and they change from hour to hour. Mm -hmm. It's not a very. It's not like surgery. It's not like all all these other things that when you nurse these patients, you know the very like standard like like pathology of it, you know, okay, this is going to happen at this time. We need to give this, we need to give that. It's a very like ebb and flow type relationship. Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes to these patients and what I said, especially before that I've worked on, it, I talked about life support. So the difference between um, being on a ventilator and being on life support is that A ventilator is you have either an endotracheal tube, which is like a tube that goes down your throat and breathes, and the machine does the breathing for you. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and without getting too complicated that, you know, you can do some of the breaths on your own, but for the most part with how sick these guys are, um, the, uh, machine is doing the breathing for you. Right. Now life support is different. So it's called ECMO. Um, And what we, when we put someone on ECMO, essentially what it is, is that you get these two large cannulas. One goes in the upper neck and one goes in the groin. And it's actually, you prime the system with blood, which again is another scarce resource that we never had prior to this going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're having to use, you prime the system with blood and you are taking the blood out of the person into a machine. It's oxygenating it, clearing it out. We call it weeping and then putting it back into the human again. Wow. And we're doing this because their lungs have incurred so much trauma that putting a ventilator down there, we can't even give them oxygen. We can't even breathe for them. And their lungs have become so fragile that if we try to put breath into there, we fear their lungs are just going to continue to pop.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And this is true. We're seeing this. We have a lot of patients with chest tubes right now because we're finding this balance between, you know, we can give them enough sedation and put them into like a, you know, a chemically sort of like sleepy type state. Um, And it's also good for their lungs to allow them to do some of their own breathing and work on that mechanical side of things to keep their muscles strong for later. But we're also finding when it comes to this is that there's something called self-inflicted lung injury, where mm-hmm. if you don't sedate them well enough, they go into a coughing fit, they can actually pop one of their lungs. That's wow. how fragile the tissues are. Um, so yeah, it's been really interesting to nurse because, like I said, I'm working on a floor where we're seeing the 45 and under. We're seeing, we're basically, at this point, only allowing patients 45 and younger to go on life support. Wow. Because We have filter shortages. We have blood shortage. It takes a lot of people and humans to run this life support machine. Mm -hmm. Um, And the patients that we're seeing in these States during COVID, they are, they're in the hospital admitted for upwards of four weeks. Wow. Like it. (laughs) Yeah. So they're in our beds for a long time. If they're not, you know, passing on Mm -hmm. and relieving a bed earlier. Um, So it's a lot of hours a lot of time a lot of dedication when you have patients this sick you're constantly monitoring them then you're also having to like you know do a bunch of things for their body that they'd be doing if they were just normally walking talking and moving around you have to turn them every 2 hours you have mm. to reposition all their body and their mobility otherwise their muscles because they're in such a massive stress response because the infection is so severe if they start going through atrophy their body Mm -hmm. is just breaking down being in these beds over time too. So a lot of our patients is like their lives are changed forever when they come out of this, Mm -hmm. you know, they're coming out of this. Yeah. They were a walking, talking, completely normal functioning 40 year old man who now has to go through rehab for the next Mm -hmm. while. Um, You know, when also when you are, you know, you do have a ventilator there's other risks that happen with that. Like it's not just let's throw a breathing tube in there and we're all good. You have to manage the rest of the body. Um, And there's so many things that come with that is that you can get a pneumonia from having a ventilator Mm -hmm. in there for too long, um, which that complicates your disease process even more um, and causes bacteria in those already really fragile lungs Mm -hmm. that are so close to those blood vessels, which then can create sepsis and sepsis is like, something that you have to treat like immediately. So it's, it's not something that we cannot take serious Mm -hmm. right now. Like it's that, like, it's hard for me because I am someone who values freedom so much. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
1: you know, being a travel nurse is so that I can nurse for like the few months at a time and then like, you know, travel and do different things and have that kind of freedom. And so I can totally empathize what it feels like when your freedom is being taken away from you, but also having the privilege to see what people are going through when they, you know, this virus knocks on their door and somehow makes an entry through that immune system Mm -hmm. and really, really knocks them down. Um, it's, it's hard. And it's hard to watch my colleagues go through this who, you know, they didn't sign up for this. They didn't sign to come up, you know, come into work and care environments that they've never been trained for. Um, You know, with like, there's days where we start our shifts and I, like I said, I work at a hospital that has money and has the resources and there's days where we don't have PPE in the morning and we have to Mm -hmm. wait to go in to do our assessments until we get refilled. Yeah. And so it's really tough. It's really tough to care. You know, you can't, you don't even have families. That's something that has been really emotionally draining for me for the last uh, months. has been that I really thrive being able to talk to my families that are there with the patient. And mm-hmm. I genuinely feel like that's a big part of healing
2: yeah. is,
1: you know, having the family present and being able to teach them and talk them through what's going on and have their involvement in care And right now we're not allowing anyone in the hospitals because this infection is so severe. Mm -hmm. Um, And this virus is just so, it just runs so crazy. So um, no one has family members at the bedside and it's, it's been, it's been hard to navigate that. Um, You know, we're also in this place too, where, you know, especially when you're in a very pro treatment side, you're treating and treating and treating and then they look good one moment then they don't look good another Mm -hmm. and that's when we start to then call the family uh because then we allow one family member to come in that we then like you know glove mask gown, the whole nine yards and try to bring them in so they can be there if the patient is going to pass but there's also sometimes no time for that right sometimes it happens so quickly sometimes we have you know, like a minute where you're taking a breath and they're like, oh, they look so good. And, you know, they have a really good day. And then you go in the next day and it's just like, boom, like, um, yeah. yeah. So it's been really tough. Um, and I just want to emphasize
0: like Michelle isn't, again, we're not sharing this or talking about this to instill fear upon you. This is all to deepen your perspective. That's it. So -hmm. if you're feeling that fear in your body rising right now from what she's sharing, take a deep breath, And just collect this as perspective for you to widen your view on everything, for you to have a deeper understanding of what people are experiencing on the front lines, what's actually happening. And I love, Michelle, how you put it, um, that you actually have the privilege to see how, you know, the people who are getting sick, which all Mm -hmm. of us on the outside don't have that privilege. And there are families who have the privilege to see the beginning points of their loved ones getting sick, but they don't even see the full gamut of what can take place. And so, and I really love that you said privilege because it is a real privilege because that privilege allows you to have this more compassionate um, and wide view on what's taking place, Mm -hmm. um, which is why. I love having you here talking about this. Um, but for yeah. everyone at home listening, uh, understand that you're lacking that privilege. Like maybe, you, maybe you've maybe yeah. you had it. Like I, I know four people have had it. And so you have that privilege of knowing how, se- how serious and unpredictable this virus can be. Maybe you've known some loved ones who have had it and gotten better, but you didn't have the privilege of seeing the full experience, the full journey of people going through it and the different variations of, 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 what this can look like um and so i just like really deeply honor you and the work that you're doing and all the nurses and all the doctors on the front lines right now because this is not just um this is not just about your gifts and your skills and your tools this is about uh, like your own spiritual mental um emotional well-being and what you're, the energy and the presence that you're bringing into that space um, for these people who don't even have the opportunity, who may not even have the opportunity to connect with their family again.
1: Yeah. And I can tell you that has been a really interesting thing as well. Um, You know, seeing the way that my, like every single person that is in the hospital right now, working with these patients, they are demonstrating so much resiliency and there's so much that they're coping with and handling on a day-to-day like there's not even time to pee sometimes sometimes we don't even get breaks Mm -hmm. like we've basically thrown away sometimes of like our human rights in order to just really stand up and serve and so it's hard because that's so much of what needs to also change in the system is that we need to treat these humans that are, you know, being compassionate and extending themselves forward, they also need to, you know, have that space within them reclaimed to be treated like a human. Um, But at the same time, too, with what's going on right now, everyone is really stepping up, everyone is Mm -hmm. really standing in. And, you know, we're in a very uncomfortable place right now. And we know that discomfort shapes you. And, You know, the reason I even speak to this being a privilege is because I went through a period in my life where I didn't realize that healthcare is a place where you need to take all of the unintegrated lessons and integrate them quickly Mm -hmm.
2: because otherwise
1: those become traumas. Mm.
2: Um,
1: And so much of my people are going to suffer through this and are suffering right now and will continue to suffer for months, if not Mm -hmm. years on end from this um, because it comes and goes in waves. We had, you know, a beautiful, beautiful week, one week where we had, you know, seven discharged to rehab, seven that were on life support. we literally at death's door that we put everything into mm-hmm. and we got to see them wheeled out to rehab. And I have videos of us just clapping in the hallway and seeing them go yeah. to then coming on the next week. And within the first hour, we had three code and die on us. And then um, my patient asked me to remove care because he's been fighting for a month. And he just at that point, he just knew that he was never going to recover Mm -hmm. the same way. And he knew his quality of life would never be the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was a very interesting place that brought me into this like nursing from my head versus my heart space. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, You
1: know, navigating that place between of like, you know, where do I serve? this system that times all my meds that knows when I'm checking vitals, when I'm intervening and all these things that are highly like watching me, mm-hmm. but then I'm stopping what I'm doing to really hold the space and be with this human because he doesn't even have family members there to do that.
0: Yeah. One. Yeah. I, I, I said this before and I'm going to say it again. I, 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 honor you for the work that you're doing and everyone on the front line. Um, and would that, were nearing the end of this episode. And again, like this, this wasn't meant to offer you any listen, like any of you listeners, um, truth or something to believe. If anything, we encourage you to start trusting yourself, Mm -hmm. to start using your own discernment in regards to what you choose to believe and what you don't, um, to understand that you haven't had the full privilege of seeing like everything that happens with COVID um, and to lean into um, gathering perspective versus seeking out the truth because there is no truth yet. Like this is far too early for there to be any truth established. There's things that we know for certain and some of those things have been mentioned here in regards to people getting sick. And yes, this affects people under the age of 45 and there's, uh, you know, different um ways of of looking at things like these we know for certain but we don't know a lot of things for certain in regards to what's going to happen with the country reopening what's going to happen if we establish if we chase herd immunity what's going to happen this fall and winter you know we don't know that um and so michelle any final thoughts for our listeners like if there's one thing that you want them to walk away with what would it be
1: i would just touch on exactly what we're talking about is just be open and be curious, you know, Um, and not just around all the external media and stimuli and, you know, thoughts and perceptions of other people, but curious about yourself, you know, with so much unknown and so much uncertainty and being stripped of those daily routines and rituals and rituals, sorry, and all the things that created that safety and certainty within us. A lot of us are in a place right now where we're learning to move forward in life based on what we're feeling and understanding mm-hmm. feelings um, because a lot of people have led their life so much by doing. Um, and so, when you see that post or you see that thing that triggers you, like start by getting curious with yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What are your stories and beliefs around that? Why does that upset you? Um, because I feel like when you start to see your perspective lenses as well you can actually lean and invite yourself more into a greater understanding.
0: Yeah. And how much nicer would the world of social media be if everyone took that lens of understanding and curiosity versus the lens of like judgment and um, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Michelle, thank you so much for just sharing your presence, your energy, your, your, your experience. With everyone today, um, where can they find you online if they want to say hi and reach out and get more of your energy? What's a good place for them to find you?
1: Yes, yeah, so um, a great place right now is Instagram. Um, yeah, like you said as well, Ruby. I'm limiting my social media. Um, you know, trying to just stay in my truth and stay in alignment with me. So um, I'm doing all of my stuff on Instagram at the moment. So my handle is just my full name, Michelle Fairney.
0: Awesome. I'm going to have that link in the show notes for all of you. Um, Michelle, thank you again. And uh, to our listeners, thank you you so much for joining us Mm -hmm. on um, what is really a very special episode of today's thought leader. Um, Be sure to drop a rating and review on iTunes and please, please share this episode with a friend. If there's someone who needs a perspective shift or someone who just really wants to hear something that is not claiming to be the truth but just an opportunity to open your mind, please share this with them. Um, and then if you have any questions for myself or Michelle, reach out to us on social media. You can also text me at one 336 160 And then I will see you back here on Monday for a brand new episode of Today's Thought Leader, where I chat with my human design channel and coach, AC Brown, about all things human design. Thanks, everyone.